This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Maybe he'll see a little better Saturdays. Happy Monday, blustery Monday, snowy Monday. Thought we were kind of done with this. I mean, I guess I know we're not kind of done with this, but I was sort of hoping we were done with this. Wake up, scrape snow off the car again. <sighs> but on the bright side, you know, baseball's around the corner. Some of it's the Rockies. They'll be relevant for a small amount of time. But more importantly, you have the Colorado Avalanche. We'll be talking about them a lot today. And the Denver Nuggets, who had a statement win on Saturday as they beat the Bucks by 23 points, the visiting Milwaukee Bucks, and, and that game uh, was tight before the Nuggets basically took the second half and, and put the pedal to the metal and knocked the Bucks off despite uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo's 31 points and, and nine boards, but they did what you want to do against a team like that. Giannis got his. They made sure that the rest of the guys were somewhat limited. They end up winning that game. Now, we'll look at that, Sandy, as well as look towards tonight. They will play the 76ers, but Joel Embiid, as we kind of speculated, we wondered, he hasn't played in Denver since 2019. That's going to continue as he is out tonight for precautionary purposes with a calf, yet James Harden, coming back from Achilles' injury, is apparently going to play tonight. But let, let's start with that Bucks game. The Nuggets now with a three-point, or pardon me, three-game lead over the Memphis Grizzlies, who are playing terrific basketball, mind you. have really gotten it back together uh, with John Morant kind of reincorporating himself to the team. They've won nine of their last ten. He but started yesterday, he and did. I don't know if that was the first time he started. It was. I think it was. Since he came back right. from the suspension. Uh, and um, Since he came back, and he, he was excellent. And... Memphis looks like a dangerous team again. Uh, who knows? Uh, they're seemingly with Memphis is always another shoe to drop, but they did look good. And yet the Nuggets with a three-game lead and only eight games left on their schedule are pretty much shoe-ins for the top seed in the Western Conference, much as Milwaukee and Boston are fighting for first place in the East, and Philadelphia is out of it. And I think that realization has set in, and pressing a Harden or an Embiid to play on It'll a be the third game in four nights, four nights right. probably doesn't make a lot of sense for them. Uh, I, I imagine Embiid might have something to say about this. And if you're focused on the MVP sweepstakes, I think Jokic has a leg up at this point. Uh, you mentioned Dante Tecumbo's 31 points on Saturday night. Most of them came in the first half. Mm-hmm. It seemed that after they led 60 to 50, the Bucks quickly became exhausted. The Nuggets flew past them and matched that lead and finally of course exceeded it yeah in 66 to 40 in the second half for right. the nuggets i mean that's a that's a that's a showstopper that's, that's a, yeah. a beat down so good performance there obviously they go to 31 and 6 they, they as you point out that gives them that three game lead with eight to go it, it becomes very difficult is it possible sure i mean i guess the nuggets could loop but remember they're well, really they, they're they really have the four same schedule because memphis they also have the tiebreaker on memphis right so they're really four up that's so right. the nuggets that's would have point. to lose Essentially, they'd have to lose a bunch of home yeah. Games. You'd you'd have to lose yeah, probably yeah. six out of the last eight games, and and Memphis would have to borderline run the table. Uh, he the, got the Phoenix, are pretty safe. Phoenix twice, right? At Phoenix, uh, okay. Uh, you've got Sacramento and you've got Golden State. There's toughies left on the schedule. Otherwise, and I think Philadelphia can dismiss tonight pretty much without Embiid. Yes. So that leaves you with. Three games against New Orleans, which will be interesting because mm-hmm. though they don't have Zion back and probably won't much before the playoffs, they are playing a lot better. And they're one of those teams, I think, in the crowded field that makes up uh, uh, the middle section of the Western Conference. Yeah. I think they're pretty much a shoe in for at least the play-in tournament uh, at this point. Uh, Dallas is fading. Utah just doesn't have the personnel and they have too many injuries. Uh, the Lakers, I think, will I think they're survive make the and make the plan, they but they'll be ninth or 10th. Uh, Minnesota is playing better, and I saw something I have not often seen last night when Minnesota was playing in San Francisco. 
against Golden State and had a nine-point lead with about, I don't know, five or six minutes to go in the game, uh, blew the lead, fell behind, and yet made some defensive plays. Yes, I said defensive plays against a Golden State team that needs the win. Golden State is vying still for fourth place. Phoenix, the Clippers, Golden State in a three-way fight for fourth. First, second, third are basically set. Denver, Memphis, Sacramento. There's a three-team fight for fourth. Golden State really needed the game, and Minnesota took it from them. And they took it from them without Anthony Edwards in the lineup. And some of their complementary players, especially Naz Reed, who is rumored to be a possible trade acquisition of the Nuggets mm-hmm. at the deadline, uh, if it came down to a choice between Reed and Bryant for the Nuggets, and I'm not saying it did. In fact, I strongly doubt it did. But for the sake of our conversation here, if it did come out to a choice between Nas Reed and Thomas Bryant, the Nuggets picked the wrong guy. Because Nas Reed is a player, especially on the offensive end. He can get his own shot. He can shoot the three ball. Neither of those things uh, seem within the capacity of Bryant to get done. So Minnesota looks good to me. New Orleans looks good to me, and they'll look even better when Zion gets back. Uh, I think I think those are the eight teams that are going to come out when the playoffs begin in roughly three and a half weeks. I I, I do look with the Lakers getting LeBron back. I think the Lakers are dangerous, but you look at that middle ground, like you said, Phoenix at, at fourth, all the way down to Dallas at 11, and Dallas is out, and as you pointed out, Dallas is fading fast. Three Only three t- wins in the last 10, including... Four straight losses. But, I mean, look at this. Uh, nobody wants to, not only is it only two and a half games between number four Phoenix and number 10 Oklahoma City, but nobody wants to separate. Out of their last 10 games, Phoenix gone four and six. Clippers six and four. Warriors five and five. Timberwolves five and five. Pelicans six and four. Lakers six and four. Thunder six and four. One losing team in the last 10 games in that group. And it's Phoenix. Everybody else is 500 And it's Phoenix. And it's Phoenix you know, clearly will be okay. But nobody's really getting when going and if either. Durant comes I mean, everyone's just sort no, of cannibalizing I, I, each other but, right but now. That's right. But that's what you would expect. And that's why, and there are a bunch of games tonight that will affect that race and the standings as we look at them today, especially uh, in that uh, five to six through 10 category, will remain very tight, but the order will be different mm-hmm. tomorrow than it is today. I mean, you have Phoenix and Utah tonight in the West. Uh, New Orleans takes on Portland. Minnesota, right. Sacramento in a pretty impactful game. Big Clippers game. will host the Bulls. So right. there are uh, so that's that a big group. game for the Clippers. Right. And the Bulls are red hot. And the Bulls, Bulls are, are playing, kind yeah, of they're playing really good. the Oklahoma City equivalent Sneaky uh, of good. the Eastern Conference. And... Two under five hundred. You know, seven they're, out of their last ten. They're playing 10. well. They're coming. They're coming, and they have distanced themselves now. Uh, much as Minnesota, New Orleans, the Lakers, and Oklahoma City have uh, got a bit of a cushion uh, with respect to Dallas and Utah, and obviously Portland's dead. They've got had half their team is out. Uh, but Chicago's done the same thing with Indiana and Washington in the East. So it looks like. Either Brooklyn or Miami for seventh, followed by, in some sort of order, Atlanta, Toronto, Chicago. But all those three teams seem to be in. So we're getting a little clarity on the top ten, if not the top eight, in each of the two conferences. And the West, as you suggest, is tightly packed. And again, the odd thing for the Nuggets, let's just take a look at the seven through ten teams and a head-to-head combination of games this year that the Nuggets have played against Minnesota, New Orleans, the Lakers, and Oklahoma City. We're talking about nine wins and six losses. Not an overwhelming record, especially by comparison to their record against Memphis, Sacramento, Phoenix, the Clippers, and Golden State, which is 11-2. and (laughs) So it's almost as if you could look at the season series, head-to-head competition, and wish the Nuggets in the first round would get one of the five teams that are right behind them, two through six, as opposed 
to any of the seven through 10 teams at the moment against whom uh, they have all lost basketball games uh, this year. They have not lost to Phoenix. They have not lost to Golden State. They have not lost to the Clippers. And they've taken two of three from Memphis, as you mentioned. One of the things I think is interesting about this, because where the Nuggets have landed in the last few years, and Michael Malone and, and, and the Nuggets like to try to manipulate the standings, they're not alone. Lots of teams like to do that. That's more in vogue now. But the funny thing is with the play-in tournament, you really can't do that anymore when, when you're, it, when you're a top to two seed. And so the Nuggets find themselves in, for them, unprecedented position. They've never won the West in the regular season before. You just find out who you're going to get. And there's really not much you can do about but it. But after the seven versus eight game, mm-hmm. you know who's going to finish seventh. Right. But there's no and way. That, so, and then, the, then it narrows that, quickly to two teams. Even when the tournament starts, there are three teams as your potential number eight. So there really isn't a way for the Nuggets to manipulate this. I mean, there, there will be three teams. You're going to get one of the three. and The only one of those teams they play again is New Orleans. Right. At the moment, although they're only half out of Minnesota right now and, you know, could bounce there too. They play New Orleans, by the way, on Thursday. That's the late TNT. Well, that would be that would be the eight seed right now, according to the standings, is New Orleans at number eight. There are two teams out of this collection of opponents that are still possible for the Nuggets to play. And I'll throw the Clippers and Golden State in there too. If they slip at all, they could be down there mm-hmm. in the play-in tournament. Sure. I don't think they'll slip out of the playoffs entirely, but they could be in the play-in tournament. I- I'm saying that out of the group of six teams, okay, Clippers, Golden State, Minnesota, New Orleans, Lakers, Oklahoma City, two teams, to me, you don't want to play New Orleans and Oklahoma City. I don't think you want the Lakers if LeBron's and healthy. the third... I think would be the Lakers, but you know what? They lost badly yesterday, and I know he just came back, but LeBron had six field goals and five turnovers, and Anthony Davis was awful. Well, I think think LeBron is being rushed. LeBron is rushing back because they have their positions not steady. They have to win. Anthony Davis, this is a big game. He was terrible. Mm -hmm. The Lakers, when they terrible. got to five, so before I, they lost I, last time I don't out. know. I, I, I think New Orleans and Oklahoma City are younger. They are hungrier. Mm-hmm. They are, if Zion comes back, Oklahoma City's pretty healthy. Right. If Zion comes back for New Orleans, they might be the best team of the bunch. They, and I'm including dangerous. the Clippers now, and Golden State yeah. in that. Uh, Zion's a little different. Zion back, Here's they're the, the best of the though. bunch, in my opinion. When you talk about a team like, Phoenix, where we've talked about this before. Kevin Durant is a plug-and-play guy. You just drop him in, you're fine. I'm not sure that the way Zion Williamson functions, that that's necessarily Good the same. Good point. I think you have to reincorporate him into your flow, and that may take a little bit of work. But yeah, the Lakers, when they when they beat Oklahoma City on Friday, a good win for them. That was their first time back at 514 months, and then they immediately lost again. And, and you know, that's got a lost bad by loss. 10. I know Chicago's hot, but, but you're that's at home a bad loss. And you lose by you're 10. You're at home and you lose by 10. By the 10, way, the Lakers And go LeBron back. comes back, you're getting a lift from that. And the Lakers are in the schedule. They go back to Chicago on Wednesday to start a five-game road trip. Right. They have five games on the road and then finish uh, their last two of the season home, so the Lakers well, do not they, have it they easy. they need, we talked about what the Nuggets needed on their recent road trip, right? Mm-hmm. Of five games. Right. They needed at least two, hopefully three wins. They got three. The Lakers, I would submit, need exactly the same thing, at least two, and probably to feel very secure about being in the playing tournament, they need three on the road because that would get them right back to where, um, you know, and again, I'm going on road win home loss differential. Clippers plus one, Golden State plus one, Minnesota zero, New Orleans zero. Lakers minus two, Oklahoma zero. Dallas minus two, Utah minus two. So they need wins on this road no, trip. I, think they need I don't three think they need minimum. four. They, I think they need at least two to get back to zero and possibly three to feel secure. I think they'll make it into the play-in tournament, but it may not be by much, and... If the Lakers play, let's say, even at home against Oklahoma City, it's one game. I'm not sure I don't like Shea 
Gilgis Alexander is the best player on the floor in that game. And I noticed yesterday, did you look at his box score? Yeah. He attempted one three-pointer. He didn't make it. He scored all his points he doesn't on shoot twos a lot of threes. and free throws. Yeah, he he's he he, w- he was the individual he goes equivalent to the net. of the Miami Hurricanes. Yes, he takes it to the rack. Who won a game against Texas by seven points without making all, uh, anything but twos and free throws, apart from two three points, which is remarkable. And I don't think they made either of them in the second half. In their previous win, and we'll get to the talking about the tournament in a bit. But in their previous win, they shot fifty percent, eleven for twenty-two from three. But another found another way to win. And and in Gildas Alexander's case, yeah, that's a guy that uh, clearly uh, understands that. Especially, in, and that, that game will translate well to the playoffs. When you just take it That's to my point. the rack. Right. I want to look at the Nuggets, though, as they continue. They make they get a good win against Milwaukee. And they, the game was well coached and managed by Malone yes. in the sense that, and this is the number I always look for in the box score, in a blowout game, I don't want to see more than uh, 32, 33 minutes next to the names of Jokic and Murray. And that was the case the other night. Their, their minutes were down. Low 30s, that's great. Uh, hopefully, they'll handle Philadelphia easily enough tonight so that they can keep those minutes in the low 30s. That's the most important thing I'm watching for in these final eight games. I don't want to see them playing 35 minutes or more in any of these games. I want them fresh for the playoffs. They've, they've all but clinched first place. There's no reason to ride them as hard as the Nuggets we're riding those two for most of the month of March. A couple of weeks ago when we started this show, one of your complaints was that Christian Brown keeps popping in moments and not really getting any playing time. Well, he's actually, over the last time, two weeks, part of the rotation. Yeah, now he is a significant part of the rotation. 18 minutes last night. My question to you is in the last three games, and I understand the situations of these games are different, but Christian Brown has had 11 minutes, then 16 minutes, then 18 minutes. So Fine. let me do my math. That's 45 minutes in three games, if I'm Fine. not mistaken, right? But in that span, he's 0 for 5. He has not scored. Uh, he has 0 for 4 from the field. He has a grand total of three points. Don't care. Four boards, a block, a steal, and defense. eight turnovers. Yeah. Not I, concerned I, about it? A lot of that is garbage time. That's too. true. Now, They've a lot of it some is. Of these uh, games the 18 minutes easily. yesterday was mostly that. garbage He's time. not a mistake player uh, when the game is competitive. Uh, I don't care if he scores any points. They need him for defense, and they need him for his versatility on the defensive end of the floor. And I think now that you've settled, apparently, on two bigs coming off the bench, Green and Najee, mm-hmm. and two midsize guys in Brown and Brown. Bruce Brown and Christian, Christian Brown. Brown. I want to say Brown. Like spelled leave, Brown. Them, Brown. leave them alone and let them. Now, yeah, now you have a nine-man nine rotation that you're comfortable with. Yes. And I think that's fine. And you know what? Give, give credit again, because one of the things we've talked about, too, Michael Porter Jr. played 28 minutes. Again, ridiculously efficient from the field. Seven for 12, including three for six from and three. And I, I don't mind Seven that boards blowout. in that. And again, oddly, plus 21, yep. the Nuggets' Play best well. player in plus minus. Uh, yep. I still well. think that the ascension of Michael Porter Jr., not as a complete all-around NBA player, but as a ridiculously efficient scorer who is diversifying his offensive game and making efforts that he was not making in previous seasons of his career when you're talking about rebounds, pursuing a little bit more. His improvement, I think, might be the most undervalued part of the Nuggets' rise to where they are right now and their opportunity to maybe go to the NBA Finals for the first time. The concern I have, and you mentioned it on Friday, is that it seems to, even though they're 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 not they're playing at the same time, it seems that Porter Jr.'s continued improvement seems to come at the cost for some reason of Aaron Gordon's play, who seems to be dipping a little bit as the season comes along. And I, I was curious if you had noticed that and what you think that, that dynamic might really entail. I hope that he is just easing his way back after the injury because since coming back, after missing a few games due to injury, he has not been, at least statistically, the same player. Now, he's, he's a good defender. Uh, the Nugget defensive problems don't seem to involve him, but they need more production. It can't just be the three guys. Uh, yeah, he, he's he's got and and again I I say 
some of the same things about Gordon that I say about Christian Brown coming off the bench. I, I'm, I'm not talking about 15 to 20 points a game. They don't need that. But uh, they need production uh, on the boards, and I think they need him as a force on the interior. And that he is not getting off very many shots, and he's gone back to taking a fair number of threes, and he's not a great three-point shooter. I'm not in love with his game. Uh, I thought prior to the injury, he was at worst the third best player they had behind Jokic and Murray, at worst. And there were times where I thought he was just as valuable as Murray, if not more so. Yeah, and I think since the injury, I don't think that's been the case. Nevertheless, they find themselves in great position. Uh, they take on the Sixers tonight. We'll talk more about that later, but they will do so with the Sixers not putting Joel Embiid on the floor. Precautionary holdout for a calf injury. We'll switch our attention to the Colorado Avalanche. You won their home and home against the Coyotes. If you, uh, if you like shootouts... This was the game for you, but the Avs get it done. We'll talk about. Or maybe the fact it that, wasn't. Yeah, because there were many goals. Yeah, <laughs> they, but they now did something that they have had an opportunity to a couple times this year. Can they capitalize? Uh, yes. We'll explain next on My Life Sports. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. Here come the Colorado Avalanche with a win tonight. And, well, a little bit of luck, let's face it. The uh, Seattle Kraken will visit the Minnesota Wild tonight. By the way, though, the Kraken are 24-9-4 on the road. The Wild are only 23-11-3 at home, so don't assume that that's a gimme for the Wild, but that's not the Avalanche's concern. The Avalanche will get Minnesota soon enough, Wednesday, as a matter of fact. Tonight, they have to take business against the eliminated Anaheim Ducks. They will do so presumably with Jonas Johansson in net. The Ducks uh, are, are a bad team. They are as close to tanking as you can get in the NHL. Uh, Connor Bedard, of course, the expected prize of the draft lottery uh, for Anaheim. That would be uh, quite the coup. So the, the Ducks are playing a little bit for pride, but they're not particularly good. The Avs, however, this late in the year, playing a bad team, have all the reason in the world to get up for this one. Avs have 10 games left. Four of the 10 are against Anaheim and San Jose. Only, yep, only as three. When you're talking about the end of this week, and we'll get into this week, Soon enough, two monumental games. But after this week, in which they will play Anaheim, then they will play Minnesota, and then they will play Dallas, after this week, only three of their final seven opponents are in playoff position. They are done against the East, the Avs are, Mm -hmm. and they have the 10 games left, four against uh, intra-divisional opposition and six against the Pacific Division. But again, four of the six come against Anaheim and San Jose, who are seventh and eighth, respectively, in the Pacific Division. Uh, they have a game left with the Kings, who have been, I think, the surprise team, at least in the conference uh, this year. Uh, the Kings undefeated in regulation in their last 10. Two points uh, out of first in the West. game last night yeah. against uh, St. Louis. Uh, and, and they're right there for first place. And, in fact, uh, a lot of experts who have analyzed uh, the schedules and uh, recent form coming down the stretch like the Kings, to emerge as the number one seed going into the Western Conference playoffs. Their weakness has been goaltending. It wasn't great last night, but it's been better of late. And if you take out goaltending, they're as good a team as there is in the West. And uh, the Avalanche know all about it. They played two against the Kings, lost one in overtime, and lost one in regulation badly at home last week, 5-2. to And that's the one uh, fly in the ointment in the last uh, eight games for the uh, Avs and for Georgiev in particular, uh, as he gave up four goals with a one empty net goal uh, in that game. But four of the six against the Pacific uh, coming against uh, Anaheim and San Jose, Kings and Edmonton, the other two, and four left, uh, all against uh, 
teams that are at least mathematically still alive for playoff spots, and that includes Nashville, the final game of the year, and also, as we've said, Winnipeg, Dallas, and Minnesota. So it's a, a very interesting closing schedule, but you've got to come away with uh, all eight points in the four games against Anaheim and San Jose. That's a given uh, to have any yeah, chance to finish win first. Division, yes. You have to have eight points out of eight against those teams. And uh, again, that's four wins, which would get the Avalanche to 47 and uh, find a way in the other six games to split them three and three. And that gets you to 50 wins. And I think 50 wins equates to first place in the Central Division, if not uh, the number one seeded position in the Western Conference. As it stands, Minnesota has 93 points, as I mentioned there, hosting Seattle tonight. The Avs and the Stars with 92. The Avs with a game in hand on both. All three of those teams play three games this week, so when there's only seven left on the schedule, by the end of this week, the Avs will still have a game in hand. But it's important not to overlook this game with Minnesota on the horizon with for one way or the other. If Minnesota wins tonight, uh, one way or the other, first place is going to be on the line on Wednesday. The, the, the winner of that game is going to take away first place. And so that makes this very, very interesting for tonight's game because I I believe, based on what we've seen with the Avs in the last, let's say, third of the season, this is a team that understands that they're not taking anybody lightly. They've been going out there to beat the teams they're supposed to beat. Uh, Arizona was game uh, in their their home game, of course, where they've been very good, quite frankly, for a team that is already eliminated. They've been very good at home. But for the Avs, is there any concern if Johansson is in net that there's a letdown? Or if you are you comfortable enough in the way the Avs have been playing? They got Evan Rodriguez back last, last game as well. So in the last couple of games, they've welcomed back Kale McCarr, Eric Johnson, Evan Rodriguez, Valerian Nachushkin with the third period, with a goal in the third, and I thought, the only goal in the shootout. I He's thought he to played his best game. And since you'll returning. notice on Friday and on Sunday against Arizona, a team that Bednar respects highly. He talks him up at least as much, and in most cases, more than any other opponent the Avalanche face. And you look at Arizona's record, and you wonder why he's making uh, so much of a deal of Arizona. Arizona's one of those teams that's, one, on the rise, and two, even for now, as a mediocre team that's nowhere near the playoffs, they seem to give the Avalanche trouble. It's it's in the matchup. Uh, they They don't seem at all intimidated or even particularly impressed by the avalanche no they they, they that's play a good way of putting it they don't they seem play impressed. the avalanche as credit for that and, it, and that's a credit to uh their coaching staff and it's a credit to uh the young team they're building and to the goaltender uh who as uh you said before the program started looks like uh henrik lundquist he, in he, his prime every time he goes up against the avalanche plays the for ass. some reason and you run into teams like that you run into goaltenders like that who seemingly have your number uh, but did you notice that nashushkin was put up on the top line friday and again yesterday and i thought they were his two best games of the season if it were me i'd leave it i would too and and i think actually during last year's campaign i think you saw him when he was up on that top line i think he was effective there i just think he's an effective complement to what they want to do he looks good yeah you mentioned connor ingram so three games against the abs this year one win two overtime losses a 2.89 goals against but in those three games he's faced 107 shots and had a 916 save percentage against the abs and he hasn't had a regulation loss in three games. I mean, he's been phenomenal against the Avalanche. So, uh, boy, get, you know, give them credit. And Ingram, by the way, only 25. And that was the thing I thought was interesting all year long. That point you made, they appear unimpressed by the Avalanche. And quite frankly, as the defending champs, and we know what talent they roll out, I would say most teams, especially the ones that are not cup contenders, who have played the Avs this year, have looked impressed <laughs> on the ice. Notably, but... Well, look at Arizona their record. doesn't care. Look at their overall record against the teams in their conference, most of whom are treating the Avalanche, even with all their injuries, with a certain deference right. that doesn't pertain to any of the teams from the other three divisions. The Avs are 9-7-2 against the Pacific. Not great. 9-5-2 uh, against uh, 
Carolina's division and nine, six, and one against Boston's division. Okay, but not great. 16, five, and one inside the Central Division this year. Far better than they've done against other teams that don't see them as often and see this year a team that's banged up and a team you can, in theory, take advantage of. Uh, The teams in the West, with the exception of Arizona, have looked at the Avalanche. uh, They're 2-0 against Minnesota. They're 2-1 against Dallas. Uh, They're Three and zero against Nashville. They're three and one against St. Louis. Uh, they've had a little trouble with Winnipeg, one one and one, but I, I don't think Winnipeg is a factor right now. Except as I guess, if the Avalanche were the number one, yeah, seed, they are the very they are the team that the Avalanche right, should play in the first round of the right. playoffs. They're the eight seed right now. Uh, right. The Avs, of course, are rolling. That's why we didn't uh, go overboard when they lost that game to Pittsburgh. You were just kind of due. Uh, a but they made up for it, there. wouldn't you say, Absolutely. with the four points in two games against Absolutely. Arizona? I mean, they've, they've looked tremendous. Look, they've had they've had one loss, Sandy, since the ninth against Pittsburgh. And, That's and, it. And again, not to dwell on this point, and I'll leave it alone uh, after I make the observation that in terms of games missed, you've got Landeskog at seventy-two, you've got McKinnon at eleven, McCarr at fifteen, Lekkinen currently at ten. He'll right. miss more. Nishushkin's missed 29 games, Rodriguez 13, Byron 38, Manson 45, Eric Johnson 19, and Helm 64. And all are regulars of a sort, mm-hmm. at worst semi-regulars. If you talk about Helm on the fourth line or Eric Johnson on the third defense tandem, but all these other guys who have missed games, and I'm just going on double-digit games missed here, they, they're key guys, and they're still missing Landeskog and Lekkonen. And Rodriguez came back, of course, uh, yesterday. They're still missing Manson. Johnson and Helm have come back. So little by little, they're getting healthier, but I, I think it would be a stretch to expect that they would open the playoffs completely whole as they were at the end of the season, it, more it or seems less. unlikely. And, and I, I would even make the argument is that as important as Landeskog and Lekkonen are, and they are, don't get me wrong, getting Manson back is maybe the more pressing need. I think this team has enough if you get Manson back to, to continue to get through a first round and then maybe you buy time. But the stars have been playing like stars. I'm going to throw Josh Manson actually played one game this month and got an assist. But how about this? The Avs in March, Sandy, have five players that are over a point per game. Now, one of them, unfortunately, is Arturi Lekkanen, who had nine points in seven games before he was hurt. But look at the numbers of their top four. Miko Rantanen in 14 games, eight goals, eight assists, 16 points, more than a point a game. Valeri Nichushkin, somewhat quietly this month, in 13 games, one fewer than Rantanen, five goals, 12 assists, 17 points in 13 games. Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon are on another planet. McCarr has 19 points in 11 games. McKinnon has 22 points in 14 games including nine goals. So, I mean, it's been lights out. And you are getting remarkable point generation, and they're doing it without really costing them. McKinnon is minus one during that span on the plus minus. But Randon is a plus one. Nachushkin is a plus four. And Makar is a comical plus nine. Well, uh, yeah. And, Your stars and, are playing and, like and stars. small sample sizes, I, I don't necessarily take plus minus that seriously. Right. Because it, it's you don't get a plus for a power play goal, and the power play has been terrific. Largely terrific. Yeah, in that span of time, in McKinnon McKinnon with nine power play points, McCarr with nine power play seems assists, Juskin with his five, and Randon with eight on right. the power play right. in this month. I mean, these guys are absolutely uh, just crushing teams on the power play. And each of those these top four guys I mentioned, the lowest shooting percentage is McKinnon at 13.8. And remember, shots on goal are the ones that, you know, would have gone in. So when, when you when you take one and it, it goes a little bit, that, that doesn't count. So, I mean, these guys are taking high percentage shots. All four of these guys are, are absolutely sniping. And as long as that can continue, maybe it doesn't have to be at that level. You don't need your top four guys to be all over a point a game and playing at that level. But the Avs clearly reached a point in which 
the light came on and realized, yeah, it's been long. Yeah, last season was a slog. Yes, everyone's tired. But you're you're good enough to win another cup, even with Boston doing what they're doing on the other side. And the Avalanche, to their absolute credit, have just put the hammer down and been grinding away. I expect them to do it again. Now, they may need... I don't know what you're going to get out of Johansson. He won his last start, and he was pretty good. But unfortunately... Well, this is another one of those games is a where, where... As need to put up probably four goals or more. Well, yeah. To make and, sure. And, but but I, I think the accent on the defense... Now, yesterday's game was scoreless uh, for quite a long period of time, mm-hmm. uncomfortably long period of time, perhaps. But I think they've got to focus on defense and limiting the shots to no more than... 24, 25 tops, right. somewhere in that 20 to 25 uh, range, uh, hopefully maybe six shots a period. That's a good seven. strategy. And, because you'll be able to counter punch with the, the skaters scoring, you have. Because Anaheim doesn't have a lot of explosions. Cash in your power plays. That'll right. be enough. And get your three goals. And by and large, the Avalanche have been a pretty good team this year when they've scored three or more goals. I mean, you've got a goaltender who's second in the league and wins at the present time with 34, 12th in save percentage at 254, fifth in save percentage at 919, and tied for first in shutouts at five. Former Av Darcy Kemper also has five shutouts this year. So he's matching Kemper in shutouts, and he is uh, generally exceeding across the board Shesterkin of the Rangers and Vasilevsky of Tampa. That's better numbers. That's remarkable. Now, I, I'm remarkable. not saying he's been a better goaltender this year than those no, two guys have been. No, fact, you're in the conversation. those guys are playing for good teams that are scoring more goals than the Avalanche are scoring. Just saying. Just saying. And and Georgiev let in a softy on the tying goal yesterday late to make it 3-3. Uh, he was not anticipating the shot. He was fooled. That's a bad goal. But... I would say he redeemed himself both in the overtime and especially in the shootout with seven players having a shot at him and none able to score. Yeah, obviously when you're talking about that, it's been uh, pretty special. So the Avalanche find a way to get it done uh, against a very game Coyotes team. They will take on the Ducks tonight. That's an 8 p.m. start uh, out here in Denver. Of course, it is out west out in anaheim so uh, we'll find out what they do there but this this is a great opportunity they can continue to take control of the central and if they win tonight they might find themselves ahead of minnesota at the very least they're only one game behind and they will take on the wild in denver on wednesday and a reminder that the abs have the best winning percentage as we speak this afternoon in the central division at 639 to minnesota's 37 and Dallas is 6.30. So, again, as long as they take care of business against these weaker teams, the Avalanche should have a shot at first place. I think a number one seed, uh, six points behind Vegas. I, I don't think you worry about that. That's probably out of reach. Go get tops in your division and take it from there. If you thought the college basketball men's tournament was going to get any a less wild. You were mistaken. Uh, unprecedented numbers coming out of this Final Four. I'll share one with you that you probably won't believe next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Danny Bailey throwing it back on the music on Monday. I used to do uh, back on Afternoon Drive with Eric Goodman and Andrew Mason, and then yeah. with Eric Goodman and Terry Fry, and then with Eric Goodman and Bruce Hurdle, I would do Coming Motown Mondays Got it. every once in a while. So today, it felt like a Motown just, Monday. Just kind of scratched the itch a little bit. Yeah. A little okay. Diana Ross. Okay. Never a bad thing. The let me give you, let me give you some information about this March Madness tournament. Obviously, it's felt unprecedented. Well, it has been. The Elite Eight before it played before that it was the first since 2015 with no double digit seeds. By the way, so the first in a while with no really really low seeds, but also the first ever with no number one seeds. And then 
it got stranger because now we're talking about a Final Four of UConn and Miami, a four and a five, San Diego State, a five, and Florida Atlantic, a nine. Sandy, this is the first time in history in which three of the four teams in the Final Four in Vegas had 5,000 to one or longer odds. Well, they'd never been there. <laughs> right. Why wouldn't the odds be long? But I mean, you've, but you've never had three of the four right. be that kind of a long shot. And, and it's pretty remarkable for, for UConn as it stands today. Our friends over at Superbook Sports to win the title now. UConn is a minus 125, a heavy favorite. Right. Over San Diego State, a plus 400. Miami, a plus 475. But, but only favored by five. And FAU, a plus 675. Uh, against Miami, only favored by five, and that may go up. Uh, San Diego State, a two-point favorite over Florida Atlantic. So uh, the Final Four semifinal games on Saturday should be uh, competitive. Uh, Gonzaga, my pick, got uh, boat raced. Yeah. By UConn. Second half got ugly. U- UConn clearly the best team. And UConn, of course, has a history that uh, none of the other three teams have. None of the other three teams have ever been in the Final Four. But if you didn't know who they were and just looked at the way they mm-hmm. played, they're the three most deserving teams to be joining UConn. And that's, that's one of the things I think is fascinating about this. Obviously, I love, you know, I love seeing the fresh blood. I like the upsets. If I don't have the... Uh, a dog in the hunt. Give me the upsets. Give me some, some, you know, some young kids that are that are hungry and doing something different and unprecedented because it's fun to watch. But if you're UConn now, now right up, right up until really just about now, you're like, wow, look at UConn as a as a four seed playing well late, opportunity to win it all. Look how good they are now at this point, Sandy. If they don't win the title, is it a borderline an embarrassment? Has the rest well, of the it's field not embarrassing. fallen so far that it, it, UConn it should cruise? It's crushing. I'm not saying they cruise because I think Miami has a certain amount of mental toughness and they're extraordinarily well coached. And extraordinary. Yeah. A coach with a, a lot of experience. Yeah. yeah. And Larinaga took George Mason to the final four. Mm-hmm. But then the Cinderella. Yeah. Slippers don't always an stay on. Right. And I, I think UConn's got to be favored by at least the five points uh, by which they are favored at the present time. Florida Atlantic and San Diego State, to me, that's a toss-up. Florida Atlantic is a better offensive team. San Diego State's a better defensive team. Uh, There's something about uh, Miami, though, uh, because I've seen Texas a lot this year. I thought Texas was going to beat them rather handily. For 32 minutes, that's as well as Texas has played all year. And with less than nine minutes... Remaining, they're up 10 points. Mm-hmm. And it it appears to be one of those games where Miami doesn't entirely go away, but Texas has that nice cushion. And all of a sudden, Miami turns it up on both ends of the floor, most surprisingly on the offensive end of the floor, and Jordan Miller pitches a perfect game. Seven for seven from the field. 13 for 13 from the line, zero three-pointers. So it's an easy way to calculate. Seven field goals for 14, added to 13 free throws, 27 points. And you have to go back to Christian Leitner to find a, a perfect game pitched in the NCAA basketball tournament. Certainly at this stage of the tournament, for a guy to go seven for seven and make all 13 of his free throws, what an extraordinary individual performance. My favorite player in uh, the Sweet 16 round was Marquise Noel of Kansas State, and by far my favorite player, uh, who was mentioned by Barkley at halftime as a guy who had to step it up. So he, he's your best player. He's not producing in a big game. You have to have your best player step out in the big games, and he really got it going in the second half. And Imagine 27 points on seven field goal attempts. <laughs> Goodness. Talk about efficient. Yeah. Yeah. If those were threes, you wouldn't even get there. I mean, that's remarkable. So uh, you assume that UConn is, is UConn the won't team, win by 28 points. But Miami, Miami is dangerous enough that not only can they keep it close, they could win. 
I, UConn doesn't have a tremendous margin for error against a Miami team that is scrappy and well-coached and finds ways to get it done and finds ways to score. The funny thing is on the other side, yes, I think Miami Florida— Miami did win the ACC regular right. season title, by the way. Very few people remember that. I didn't until I looked it up because the ACC was so bad this year. Nobody watched the ACC during the regular season. A few more, I suppose, during their conference tournament watched, but that was Duke. Uh, mm-hmm. getting hot and going on and winning that tournament, people thought, myself included, that going into the NCAA tournament, Duke would go the furthest of all the ACC schools. And I I wasn't sure Miami could get past Drake in the first round. But once they did that, they seemed to be getting stronger and stronger, more resilient all the time and more confident uh, to the point where they're down anywhere between 10 and 13 points well into the second half yesterday against a Texas team that was playing very, very well. And it's one of those games, if it lasted another five minutes or so, Miami might have won by by 20 points. Out of the final four teams, you know the only one that didn't win their conference? UConn. <laughs> Florida Atlantic right. won theirs. San Diego well, State won theirs. Maybe we underrated the Big East, huh? Uh, perhaps so. I mean, uh, the Big Because Danny know. Hurley talked about that. He said the reason we're so good in the tournament was that we went up against Marquette and Xavier, and Creighton. They finished all year long in the Big East standings in the regular and they, season. they had a stretch in which they lost five out of six games, and they were actually five and six at one point in the conference after starting 14-0 and overall and 3-0 and in conference play. Let's go to the other side because I think, well, Florida Atlantic is interesting. San Diego State has, has won me over as a real threat because – the defense is legit. Now, when they when they beat Bama, there's always that thought that seems every year there's a there's a good team that doesn't seem to know what to do with the press for whatever reason, and and they they beat Bama, but they held Bama to 64 points. That's a team yeah, that regularly sat absolutely. in the 80s. And, they held them and, way and under Miller their average. Miller shot three for 19 in that game. And look what they've done. I mean, that they started out. They held Charleston to 57. They held Furman to 52. They held. Alabama to 64, and then they held Creighton, who finished ahead of UConn in the Big East. And had scored 86 in its previous game. To 56. At a certain point, you have to look at it and say, wait a minute. I mean, only one team has broken into the 60s, and that was the top seed in the country, and they barely got there. So at a certain point, you have to look at San Diego State's defense and say that is a legitimate championship-caliber defense. And... They are also well-coached. They execute on the defensive side very efficiently and effectively. Their rotations are really good. They frustrate the team they're playing, and they change the way their team's playing paces. When you saw them play Alabama, who has tremendous athletes, wanted to get a run, they couldn't. San Diego State just slowed that game. It was played at their pace, and every single game San Diego State has played, every single game in this tournament, without exception, has been played at the pace the Aztecs wanted it to be played at. Having said all that, what do you think of the call at the end? I I generally like less officiating being involved at the end of games, but... You know what I like? I, I like consistent, common sense officiating. That's fair. And that particular play was not called a foul right throughout the game. There must have been at least a dozen similar plays, mm-hmm. and not once was the whistle blown. But on the 13th occasion, it was. And I'm not saying that San Diego State would have lost the game without that call. It was a tie game. The kid made one One of the two two free throws. But I hated to see that decided not on the line, not because I don't think you should never call a foul in that situation, because you hadn't called that particular action a foul throughout the course of the game, and all of a sudden you go toot toot, tweet tweet. Yeah, I mean, especially when in the, it's in, in the final seconds of the game. And yes, he missed the shot, and you could argue his shot was affected by uh, the hand being but it was on kind his of the side, hand on, the, on the hip. But right. I, I'm saying you didn't call it. And a friend of mine who knows uh, the late great Irv Brown very well and is fully aware of Irv's officiating style was saying Irv never would have called that a foul. And my response was, 
if Irv had not blown the whistle once during the game, he wouldn't have blown the whistle in the final seconds of the game. But if it had been blown seven or eight times prior. (laughs) Irv's officiating style was not based on strict adherence to the rule book, but was based instead on consistency and common sense. And common sense dictates you let that go. If you haven't called it all day. And obviously consistency speaks to that as well. You've called the game a certain way. It's a rough game. It's a low-scoring game. That's the personality of the game. The officials should adhere to the way they've called the game for 39 minutes and 50 seconds yeah. in the final 10 that seconds That said, so I mean, I watched that over again, and I literally just took a peek at it again while you were speaking. It was a foul. Because obviously, you know, when you're talking about Nemard, kind of, he, he's, there's actually a full push off. You can see him extend through it. I get that, but I also get your point there. And so that's that's one of the tricky things. And it's just the same. It kind of goes down to that. But oh, you could argue, and Clark Kellogg tried to argue this case against uh, Jay Wright, Charles Barkley, and Kenny Smith. I thought rather <laughs> unsuccessfully that yes, a foul is a foul, but their point, and I thought Wright and Kenny Smith and Barkley all coming from slightly different perspectives, but reaching the same conclusion said, you've got to play the game and coach the game according to the way it is being officiated. And when there's a deviation for that at the end of the game, you can't blame players. And I thought the Creighton kid was very classy after the game, didn't moan and groan about it. Uh, I thought McDermott, who clearly at the time was very upset, also was more composed after the game, and and that's fine. And I thought San Diego State was the better team. I just didn't think the game should have been decided on that particular call unless they had been calling that a foul all game, which clearly they weren't. Witness the final score of 57-56. to There weren't a lot of free throws, and there wasn't very much in the way of fouling that was called. Well, obviously, as you're putting your predictions together, you don't need to find a pot of gold to strike it rich this March. Instead, you can win money on your tournament wagers with Superbook Sports. Superbook features the best team of odds makers in the business, so they're the safe bet when it comes to sports gambling. And you have a direct line to their experienced staff behind the counter right there in Las Vegas. They also have one of the most extensive betting menus around, so no matter what you want to wager on, Come tournament time, Superbook's sure to have it. Download the Superbook app and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. The NFL winter meetings are underway. Uh, Sean Payton, and the maybe the best way I could say it, held court today. We'll talk about what he talked about next on Mile High Sports.